0: Welcome to today's Triple Z. The Triple Z Podcast is a daily program that you can use to help you fall asleep each night. Just turn down the volume, lay back, relax, and enjoy as you fall asleep. The Life and Achievements of Don Quixote de la Mancha is a Spanish epic novel by Miguel de Cervantes. Originally published in two parts, in 1605 and 1615, its full title is The Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha*. A founding work of Western literature, it is often labeled as the first modern novel and one of the greatest works ever written. Don Quixote is also one of the most translated books in the world. If you enjoy our program, Chapter 90 Of what befell Don Quixote at his entrance into Barcelona with other events more true than ingenious. Three days and three nights Don Quixote sojourned with the great Roque, and had he remained with him 300 years in such a mode of life he might still have found new matter for observation and wonder. Here they sleep, there they eat, sometimes flying from they know not what, at others lying in wait for they know not whom, often forced to steal their naps standing, and every moment liable to be roused. Roque passed the nights apart from his followers, making no men privy to his lodgings, for the numerous proclamations which the viceroy of Barcelona had published against him, setting a price upon his head, kept him in continual apprehension of surprise, and even of the treachery of his own followers, making his life irksome and wretched beyond measure. Roque, Don Quixote, and Sancho, attended by six squires, set out for Barcelona, and taking the most secret and unfrequented ways, at night reached the Strand on the eve of St. John. Roque now embraced the knight and the squire, giving to Sancho the promised ten crowns, and thus they parted with many friendly expressions and a thousand offers of service on both sides. Roque returned back, and Don Quixote remained there on horseback waiting for daybreak, and it was not long before the beautiful aurora appeared in the golden balconies of the east, cheering the flowery fields, while, at the same time, the ears were regaled with the sound of numerous kettle drums and jingling morris bells, mixed with the noise of horsemen coming out of the city. Aurora now retired, and the glorious sun gradually rising at length appeared broad as an ample shield on the verge of the horizon. Don Quixote and Sancho now beheld the sea which, to them, was a wondrous novelty and seemed so boundless and so vast that the lakes of Ruidora, which they had seen in La Mancha, could not be compared to it. They saw the galleys too, lying at anchor near the shore, which, on removing their awnings, appeared covered with flags and pennants all flickering in the wind and kissing the surface of the water. Within them was heard the sound of trumpets, ho and other martial instruments that filled the air with sweet and cheering harmony. Presently the vessels were put in motion, and on the calm sea began a counterfeit engagement At the same time, a numerous body of cavaliers in gorgeous liveries and nobly mounted issued from the city and performed corresponding movements on shore. Cannon were discharged on board the galleys, which were answered by those on the ramparts, and thus the air was rent by mimic thunder. The cheerful sea, the serene sky, only now and then obscured by the smoke of the artillery seemed to exhilarate and gladden every heart. Sancho wondered that the bulky monsters which he saw moving on the water should have so many legs, and while his master stood in silent astonishment at the marvelous scene before him, the body of gay cavaliers came galloping up towards him, shouting in the Moorish manner, and one of them, the person to whom Roque had written, came forward and said, Welcome to our city, the mirror, the beacon and Polar Star of knight Errantry. Welcome, I say, O oh, valorous Don Quixote de la Mancha, not the spurious, the fictitious, the apocryphal one, lately sent amongst us in lying histories, but the true, the legitimate, the genuine Quixote of Sid Hammett the flower of historians. Don Quixote answered not a word, nor did the Cavaliers wait for any answer, but, Wheeling round with all their followers, they began to curvet in a circle about Don Quixote, who, turning to Sancho, said, These people seem to know us well, Sancho. I dare engage they have read our history, and even that of the Aragonese lately printed. The gentleman who spoke to Don Quixote again addressed him, saying, Be pleased, Senior Don Quixote, to accompany us. For we are all the intimate and devoted friends of Roque Guinart. To which Don Quixote replied, If courtesy beget courtesy, yours, good sir, springs from that of the great Roque. Conduct me whither you please, for I am wholly at your disposal. The gentleman answered in expressions no less polite, and enclosing him in the midst of them, they all proceeded to the sound of martial music towards the city until they reached their conductor's house, which was large and handsome, declaring the owner to be a man of wealth and consideration. Chapter 91 Of the adventure of the Enchanted Head, with other trifling matters that must not be omitted. The name of Don Quixote's present host was Don Antonio Moreno. He was rich, sensible, and good-humored, and being cheerfully disposed, With such an inmate, he soon began to consider how he might extract amusement from his whimsical infirmity, but without offense to his guest, for the jest that gives pain is no jest, nor is that lawful pastime which inflicts an injury. Having prevailed upon the knight to take off his armor, he led him to a balcony at the front of his house, and there in his straight chamois doublet, which has already been mentioned, exposed him to the populace who stood gazing at him as if he had been some strange baboon. The gay cavaliers again appeared and paraded before him as in compliment to him alone and not in honor of that day's festival. Sancho was highly delighted to find so unexpectedly what he fancied to be another Camacho's wedding, another house like that of Don Diego de Miranda, and another Duke's castle. On that day several of Don Antonio's friends dined with him, all paying homage and respect to Don Quixote as a knight-errant, with which his vanity was so flattered that he could scarcely conceal the delight which it gave him. And such was the power of Sancho's wit that every servant of the house, and indeed all who heard him, hung as it were upon his lips. While sitting at table, Don Antonio said to him, We are told here, honest Sancho, that you are so great a lover of capons and sausages, that when you have crammed your belly, you stuff your pockets with the fragments for another day. Tis not true, and please your worship, I am not so filthy, nor am I a glutton, as my master Don Quixote here present can bear witness. For he knows we have often lived day after day, a whole week together upon a handful of acorns or hazelnuts. It is true, I own, that if they give me a heifer, I make haste with a halter. My way is to take things as I find them, and eat what comes to hand, and whoever has said that I am given to greediness, take my word for it, he is very much out, and I would tell my mind in another manner, but for the respect due to the honorable beards here at table. In truth, gentlemen, Said Don Quixote, The frugality of my squire and his cleanliness in eating deserve to be recorded on plates of brass, to remain an eternal memorial for ages to come. I confess that, when in great want of food, he may appear somewhat ravenous, eating fast and chewing on both sides of his mouth, but as for cleanliness, he is therein most punctilious, and when he was a governor, Such was his nicety in eating that he would take up grapes, and even the grains of a pomegranate with the point of a fork. How, quoth Don Antonio, has Sancho been a governor? Yes, I have, replied Sancho, and of an island called Barataria. Ten days I governed it at my own will and pleasure, but I paid for it in sleepless nights and learned to hate with all my heart the trade of governing, and made such haste to leave it that I fell into a pit which I thought would be my grave, but I escaped alive out of it by a miracle. Hereupon Don Quixote related minutely all the circumstances of Sancho's government to the great entertainment of the hearers. The dinner being ended, Don Quixote was led by his host into a distant apartment, in which there was no other furniture than a small table apparently of jasper supported by a pillar of the same and upon it was placed a bust seemingly of bronze the effigy of some high personage after taking a turn or two in the room don antonio said senior don quixote now that we are alone i will make known to you one of the most extraordinary circumstances or rather i should say one of the greatest wonders imaginable upon condition that what I shall communicate be deposited in the inmost recesses of secrecy. It shall be there buried, answered Don Quixote, and to be more secure I will cover it with a tombstone. Besides, I would have you know Senor Don Antonio, for by this time he had learned his name, that you are addressing one who, though he has ears to hear, has no tongue to betray so that if it please you to deposit it in my breast, be assured it is plunged into the abyss of silence. I am satisfied, said Don Antonio, and confiding in your promise, I will at once raise your astonishment and disburden my own breast of a secret which I have long borne with pain from the want of some person worthy to be made a confidant in matters which are not to be revealed to every body. Thus having, by his long preamble, strongly excited Don Quixote's curiosity, Don Antonio made him examine carefully the brazen head, the table, and the jasper pedestal upon which it stood. He then said, "No, Sr. Don Quixote, that this extraordinary bust is the production of one of the greatest enchanters or wizards that ever existed. He was, I believe, a Polander and a disciple of the famous Escatillo, of whom so many wonders are related. He was here in my house, and for the reward of a thousand crowns fabricated this head for me, which has the virtue and property of answering to every question that is put to it. After much study and labor, drawing figures, erecting schemes, and frequent observation of the stars, he completed his work. Today being Friday, it is mute, but tomorrow, senior, you shall surely witness its marvelous powers. In the meantime, you may prepare your questions, for you may rely on hearing the truth. Don Quixote was much astonished at what he heard and could scarcely credit Don Antonio's relation, but considering how soon he should be satisfied, he was content to suspend his opinion and expressed his acknowledgments to Don Antonio for so great a proof of his favor. Then leaving the chamber, and carefully locking the door, they both returned to the saloon where the rest of the company were diverting themselves with Sancho's account of his master's adventures. The same evening they carried Don Quixote abroad to take the air, mounted on a large easy-paced mule with handsome furniture, himself unarmed, and with a long wrapping coat of tawny colored cloth so warm that it would have put even frost into a sweat. They had given private orders to the servants to find amusement for Sancho so as to prevent his leaving the house as they had secretly fixed on the back of Don Quixote's coat of parchment on which was written in capital letters, This is Don Quixote de la Mancha." They had no sooner set out than the parchment attracted the eyes of the passengers, and the inscription being read aloud. Don Quixote heard his name so frequently repeated, that turning to Don Antonio with much complacency, he said, how great the prerogative of knight-errantry, since its professors are known and renowned over the whole earth. Observe, Senior Don Antonio, even the very boys of this city know me, although they never could have seen me before. It is very true, Senior Don Quixote answered Don Antonio, for as fire is discovered by its own light, so is virtue by its own excellence, and no renown equals in splendor that which is acquired by the profession of arms. As Don Quixote thus rode along amidst the applause of the people, a Castilian, who had read the label on his back, exclaimed, What? don quixote de la mancha how hast thou got here alive after the many drubbings and bastings thou hast received mad indeed thou art had thy folly been confined to thyself the mischief had been less but thou hast the property of converting into fools and madmen all that keep thee company witness these gentlemen here thy present associates get home blockhead to thy wife and children, look after thy house, and leave these fooleries that eat into thy brain and skim off the cream of thy understanding. Go, friend, said Don Antonio, look after your own business, and give your advice where it is required. Senior Don Quixote is wise, and we as friends know what we are doing. Virtue demands our homage wherever it is found. Be gone, therefore. In an evil hour, nor meddle where you are not called. Truly, answered the Castilian, your worship is in the right, for to give that lunatic advice is to kick against the pricks. Yet am I grieved that the good sense which he is said to have should run to waste and be lost in the mire of knight errantry. And may the evil hour, as your worship said, overtake me in all my generation. If ever you catch me giving advice again to anybody, asked or not asked, though I were to live to the age of Methuselah. So saying, the advisor went his way, but the rabble still pressing upon them to read the inscription, Don Antonio contrived to have it removed that they might proceed without interruption. The next day, Don Antonio determined to make experiment of the enchanted head, and for that purpose, The knight and squire, the two mischievous ladies who had been invited by Don Antonio's lady to sleep there that night and two other friends, were conducted to the chamber in which the head was placed. After locking the door, Don Antonio proceeded to explain to them the properties of the miraculous bust of which, he said, he should for the first time make trial but laid them all under an injunction of secrecy. The artifice was known only to the two gentlemen, who, had they not been apprised of it, would have been no less astonished than the rest at so ingenious a contrivance. The first who approached the head was Don Antonio himself, who whispered in its ear, not so low, but he was overheard by all. Tell me, said he, thou wondrous head, by the virtue inherent in thee, what are my present thoughts? The head in a distinct and intelligible voice but without moving the lips answered i am no judge of thoughts they were all astonished at the voice being sensible nobody was in the room to answer how many of us are there in the room said don antonio again the voice answered in the same key though and thy wife two of thy friends and two of hers a famous knight." called Don Quixote de la Mancha and his squire Sancho Panza. Now their astonishment was greater than before and the hair of some of them stood on end with amazement. It is enough, said Don Antonio, stepping aside, I am convinced it was no impostor sold thee to me, sage, miraculous head. Now let somebody else try their fortunes. As women are generally most curious and inquisitive, one of the dancing ladies, venturing up to it, tell me, head, said she, what shall I do to be truly beautiful? Be honest, answered the head. I have done, replied the lady. Her companion then came on, and with the same curiosity, I would know, said she, whether my husband loves me or no. The head answered, observe his usage, and that will tell thee. Truly, said the married lady to herself as she withdrew, that question was needless, for, indeed, a man's actions are the surest tokens of the dispositions of his mind. Donna Antonio's lady asked the next question, I do not well know what to ask thee, said she, only tell me whether I shall long enjoy the company of my dear husband. Thou shalt, answered the head, for his healthy constitution and temperance promise length of days, while those who live too fast are not like to live long. Next came Don Quixote. Tell me, thou oracle, said he, was what I reported of my adventures in Montesinos' cave a dream or reality? Will Sancho, my squire, fulfill his promise and scourge himself effectually? And shall Dulcinea be disenchanted? As for the adventures in the cave, answered the head, there is much to be said they have something of both, Sancho's whipping shall go on but leisurely, however, Dulcinea shall at last be really freed from enchantment. That is all I desire to know, said Don Quixote. For the whole stress of my good fortune depends on Dulcinea's disenchantment. Then Sancho made the last application. If it please you, Mr. Head, quoth he, shall I chance to have another government? Shall I ever get clear of this starving Squire Arontane? And shall I ever see my own fireside again? The head answered thou shalt be a governor in thine own house if thou goest home thou mayest see thy own fireside again and if thou leavest off thy service thou shalt get clear of thy squireship that is a very good one cried sancho a horse head i vow might have told all this i could have prophesied thus much myself how now said don quixote What answers wouldst thou have, but what are pertinent to thy questions?" Nay, quoth Sancho, since you will have it so, it shall be so. I only wish Mr. Head would have told me a little more concerning the matter. Thus the questions proposed and the answers returned were brought to a period, but the amazement continued among all the company except Don Antonio's two friends who understood the device. The manner of it was thus, the table and the frame on which it stood, the feet of which resembled, for eagle's claws, were of wood, painted and varnished like jasper. The head, which looked like the bust of a Roman emperor and of a brass color, was all hollow, and so were the feet of the table, which answered exactly to the neck and breast of the head, the whole so artificially fixed that it seemed to be all of a piece. Through this cavity ran a tin pipe, conveyed into it by a passage through the ceiling of the room under the table. He that was to answer, set his ear to the end of the pipe in the chamber underneath, and by the hollowness of the trunk, received their questions and delivered his answers in clear and articulate words, so that the impostor could scarcely be discovered. The Oracle was managed by a young, ingenious gentleman Don Antonio's nephew, who having his instructions beforehand from his uncle, was able to answer readily and directly to the first questions and by conjectures or evasions make a return handsomely to the rest with the help of his ingenuity. Chapter 92 Of an unlucky adventure which Don Quixote laid most to heart of any that had yet befallen him. It happened one morning that Don Quixote, going abroad to take the air upon the seashore, armed at all points, according to his custom, his arms, as he said, being his best attire, he spied a knight riding towards him, armed like himself from head to foot, with a bright moon blazing on his shield, who, coming with an hearing, called out to him, Illustrious Don Quixote de la Mancha, I am the knight of the white moon whose incredible achievements, perhaps, have reached thy ears. Lo! I am come to enter into combat with thee, and to compel thee, by dint of sword, to own and acknowledge my mistress, by whatever name and dignity she be distinguished, to be, without any degree of comparison, more beautiful than thy Dulcinea del Toboso. Now, if thou wilt fairly confess this truth, thou freest thyself from certain death, and me from the trouble of taking or giving thee thy life. If not, the conditions of our combat are these, if victory be on my side, thou shalt be obliged immediately to forsake thy arms and the quest of adventures, and to return to thy own house, where thou shalt engage to live quietly and peaceably for the space of one whole year, without laying hand on thy sword, to the improvement of thy estate and the salvation of thy soul. But, if thou comest of conqueror, my life is at thy mercy, my horse and arms shall be thy trophy, and the fame of all my former exploits, by the lineal descent of conquest, be vested in thee as victor. Consider what thou hast to do, and let thy answer be quick, for my dispatch is limited to this very day. Don Quixote was amazed and surprised as much at the arrogance of the Knight of the White Moon's challenge as at the subject of it. So, with a composed and solemn address, he replied, Knight of the White Moon, whose achievements have as yet been kept from my knowledge, it is more than probable that you have never seen the illustrious Dulcinea, for had you viewed her perfections, you had found arguments enough to convince you that no beauty, past, present, or to come, can parallel hers and... Therefore I tell thee, Knight, thou art mistaken, and this position I will maintain, by accepting your challenge on your own conditions, except that article of your exploits descending to me, for, not knowing what character your actions bear, I shall rest satisfied with the fame of my own, by which, such as they are, I am willing to abide. And since your time is so limited, choose your ground, and begin your career as soon as you will and expect a fair field and no favor. While the two knights were adjusting the preliminaries of combat, the viceroy, who had been informed of the Night of the White Moon's appearance near the city walls and his parleying with Don Quixote, hastened to the scene of battle, not suspecting it to be anything but some new device of Don Antonio Moreno or somebody else. Several gentlemen and Don Antonio among the rest accompanied him thither. They arrived just as Don Quixote was wheeling Rosinante to fetch his career, and seeing them both ready for the onset, he interposed, desiring to know the cause of the sudden combat. The Knight of the White Moon told him there was a lady in the case, and briefly repeated to His Excellency what passed between him and Don Quixote. The Viceroy whispered Don Antonio and asked him whether he knew that Night of the White Moon and whether their combat was not some jocular device to impose upon Don Quixote? Don Antonio answered positively that he neither knew the night nor whether the combat were in jest or earnest. This put the viceroy to some doubt whether he should not prevent their engagement but being at last persuaded that it must be a jest at the bottom, he withdrew. Valorous knights, said he, if there be no medium between confession and death, but Don Quixote be still resolved to deny, and you, the Knight of the White Moon, as obstinately to urge, I have no more to say, the field is free, and so proceed. The knights made their compliments to the Viceroy and Don Quixote, making some short ejaculations to Heaven and his Lady, as he always used upon these occasions, began his career, without either sound of trumpet or any other signal. His adversary was no less forward, for setting spurs to his horse, which was much the swifter he met Don Quixote so forcibly, before he had run half his career, that without making use of his lance, which it is thought he lifted up on purpose, he overthrew the knight of La Mancha and Rosinante, both coming to the ground with a terrible fall. The Knight of the White Moon got immediately upon him, and clapping the point of his lance to his face, Knight, cried he, You are vanquished and a dead man, unless you immediately fulfill the conditions of your combat. Don Quixote, bruised and stunned with his fall, without lifting up his beaver, answered in a faint hollow voice, as if he had spoken out of a tomb, Dulcinea del Toboso is the most beautiful woman in the world and I the most unfortunate knight upon the earth. It were unjust that such perfection should suffer through my weakness. No, pierce my body with thy lance, knight, and let my life expire with my honor. Not so rigorous neither, replied the conqueror. Let the fame of the Lady Dulcinea remain entire and unblemished, provided the great Don Quixote return home for a year. As we agreed before the combat, I am satisfied. The Viceroy and Don Antonio, with many other gentlemen, were witnesses to all these passages, and particularly to this proposal, to which Don Quixote answered, that upon condition he should be enjoined nothing to the prejudice of Dulcinea, he would, upon the faith of a true knight, be punctual in the performance of everything else. This acknowledgment being made, the Knight of the White Moon turned about his horse, and saluting the Viceroy, rode at a hand gallop into the city, whither Don Antonio followed him, at the Viceroy's request to find out who he was, if possible. Don Quixote was lifted up, and upon taking off his helmet, they found him pale and in a cold sweat. As for Rosinante, he was in so sad a plight that he could not stir for the present. Then, as for Sancho, he was in so heavy a taking that he knew not what to do nor what to say. He was sometimes persuaded he was in a dream, sometimes he fancied this rueful adventure was all witchcraft and enchantment. In short, he found his master discomfited in the face of the world and bound to good behavior and to lay aside his arms for a whole year. Now he thought his glory eclipsed, his hopes of greatness vanished into smoke, and his master's promises, like his bones, put out of joint by that terrible fall, which he was afraid had at once crippled Rosinante and his master. At last the vanquished knight was put into a chair, which the viceroy had sent for that purpose, and they carried him into town, accompanied likewise by the viceroy. Who had a great curiosity to know who this Knight of the White Moon was that had left Don Quixote in so sad a condition. Chapter 93 Wherein is given an account of the Knight of the White Moon with other matters. Don Antonio Moreno followed the Knight of the White Moon to his inn, whither he was attended by a rabble of boys. The knight being got to his chamber, Where his squire waited to take off his armor, Don Antonio came in, declaring he would not be shaken off till he had discovered who he was. The knight finding that the gentleman would not leave him, sir, said he, since I lie under no obligation of concealing myself, if you please, while my man disarms me, you shall hear the whole truth of the story. You must know, sir, I am called the Bachelor Carrasco. I live in the same town with this Don Quixote, whose unaccountable frenzy has moved all his neighbors, and me among the rest, to endeavor by some means to cure his madness, in order to which, believing that rest and ease would prove the surest remedy, I bethought myself of this present stratagem, and, about three months ago, in the equipage of a knight-errant, under the title of the Knight of the Mirrors, I met him on the road, fixed day quarrel upon him, and the conditions of our combat were as you have heard already. But fortune then declared for him, for he unhorsed and vanquished me, and so I was disappointed he prosecuted his adventures, and I returned home very much hurt with my fall. But willing to retrieve my credit, I have made this second attempt, and now have succeeded For I know him to be so nicely punctual in whatever his word and honor is engaged for, that he will undoubtedly perform his promise. This, sir, is the sum of the whole story, and I beg the favor of you to conceal me from Don Quixote, that my project may not be ruined a second time, and that the honest gentleman, who is naturally a man of good parts, may recover his understanding. Oh, sir, Replied Don Antonio, what have you to answer for in robbing the world of the most diverting folly that ever was exposed among mankind? Consider, sir, that his cure can never benefit the public half so much as his distemper. But I am apt to believe, sir bachelor, that his madness is too firmly fixed for your art to remove and, indeed, I cannot forbear wishing it may be so. For by Don Quixote's cure, we not only lose his good company, but the drolleries and comical humours of Sancho Panza too, which are enough to cure melancholy itself of the spleen. However, I promise to say nothing of the matter, though I confidently believe, sir, your pains will be to no purpose. Carrasco told him that having succeeded so far, he was obliged to cherish better hopes and asking Don Antonio if he had any further service to command him, he took his leave, and packing up his armor on a carriage mule, presently mounted his charging horse, and leaving the city that very day, posted homewards, meeting no adventure on the road worthy a place in this faithful history. Don Antonio gave an account of the discourse he had had with Carrasco to the viceroy, who was vexed to think that so much pleasant diversion was like to be lost to all those that were acquainted with the Don's exploits. Six days did Don Quixote keep his bed, very dejected, and full of severe and dismal reflections on his fatal overthrow. Sancho was his comforter, and among his other crumbs of comfort, my dear master, quoth he, cheer up, come, pluck up a good heart and be thankful for coming off no worse. Why, a man has broken his neck with a less fall, and you have not so much as a broken rib. Consider, sir, that they that game must sometimes lose. We must not always look for bacon where we see the hooks. Come, sir, cry a fig for the doctor, since you will not need him this bout. Let us jog home fair and softly, without thinking any more of sauntering up and down, nobody knows whither, in quest of adventures and bloody noses. Why, sir, I am the greatest loser, if you go to that, though it is you that are in the worst pickle. It is true, I was weary of being a governor, and gave over all thoughts that way, but yet I never parted with my inclination of being an earl, and now, if you miss being a king by casting off your knight errantry, poor I may go whistle for my earldom. No more of that, Sancho," said Don Quixote. "I shall only retire for a year and then reassume my honorable profession, which will undoubtedly secure me a kingdom and the earldom. Heaven grant it may," quoth Sancho. "And no mischief betide us. Hope well and have well," says the proverb. Two days after, Don Quixote, being somewhat recovered, took his leave of Don Antonio, and having caused his armor to be laid on dapple, he set forwards on his journey home, Sancho thus being forced to trudge after him on foot. Don Quixote, as he went out of Barcelona, cast his eyes on the spot of ground where he was overthrown. Here once Troy stood, said he, hear my unhappy fate, and not my cowardice, deprived me of all the glories I had purchased. Here fortune, by an unexpected reverse, made me sensible of her inconstancy and fickleness. Here my exploits suffered a total eclipse, and in short, here fell my happiness, never to rise again. Sancho, hearing his master thus dolefully paraphrasing on his misfortunes, good sir, quoth he. It is as much the part of great spirits to have patience when the world frowns upon them as to be joyful when all goes well, and I judge of it by myself. For if when I was a governor I was merry, now I am but a poor squire afoot I am not sad. And indeed I have heard say, that this same lady they call Fortune is a whimsical, freakish queen and blind into the bargain, so that she neither sees what she does nor knows whom she raises, nor whom she casts down. Thou art very much a philosopher, Sancho, said Don Quixote, thou talkest very sensibly. I wonder how thou camest by all this, but I must tell thee there is no such thing as fortune in the world, nor does anything that happens here below of good, or ill come by chance, but by the appointment of providence, and this makes good the proverb, that every man may thank himself for his own fortune. For my part, I have been the maker of mine, but for want of using the discretion I ought to have used, all my presumptuous edifice sunk and tumbled down at once. I might well have considered that Rosinante was too weak and feeble to withstand the neigh of the White Moon's huge and strong-built horse. However, I would needs adventure, I did the best I could. And was overcome. Yet though it has cost me my honor, I have not lost, nor can I lose, my integrity to perform my promise. Tredge on then, friend Sancho, and let us get home to pass the year of our probation. In that retirement, we shall recover new vigor to return again to the never-to-be-forgotten profession of arms. That night master and man took up their lodging in a field under the roof of the open sky, and the next day, as they were on their journey, they saw coming towards them a man on foot with a wallet about his neck and a javelin or dart in his hand, just like a footpost. The man mended his pace when he came near Don Quixote and, almost running, came with a great deal of joy in his looks and embraced Don Quixote's right thigh. For he could reach no higher my lord don quixote de la mancha cried he oh how heartily glad my lord duke will be when he understands you are coming again to his castle for there he is still with my lady duchess i do not know you friend answered don quixote nor can i imagine who you should be unless you tell me yourself My name is Tosolos. If it please your honor, I am my Lord Duke's footman, the same who would not fight with you about Donna Rodriguez's daughter. Bless me, cried Don Quixote. Is it possible you should be the man whom those enemies of mine, the magicians, transformed into a lackey to deprive me of the honor of that combat? Softly, good sir, replied the footman, There was neither enchantment nor transformation in the case. I was as much a footman when I entered the lists as when I came out, and it was because I had a mind to marry the young gentlewoman that I refused to fight. But I was sadly disappointed, for, when you were gone, my Lord Duke had me soundly banged for not doing as he ordered me in that matter, and the upshot was this, Donna Rodriguez is packed away to seek her fortune. And the daughter is shut up in a nunnery as for me i am going to barcelona with a parcel of letters from my lord to the viceroy however sir if you please to take a sip i have here a calabash full of the best with some excellent cheese that will make it go down i warrant you i take you at your word quoth sancho i am no proud man and so let us drink honest Tossalos, in spite of all the enchanters in the Indies. Well, Sancho, said Don Quixote, thou art certainly the veriest glutton that ever was, and the silliest blockhead in the world, else thou wouldst consider that this man thou sayest here is enchanted and a sham lackey. Stay with him, if thou thinkest fit, and gratify thy voracious appetite for my part, I will ride softly on before Tosolos smiled and laying his bottle and his cheese upon the grass he and Sancho sat down there and like sociable messmates never stirred till they had quite cleared the wallet while they were thus employed friend Sancho quoth Tosolos I know not what to make of this master of yours doubtless he ought to be reckoned a madman why ought replied sancho he owes nothing to anybody for he pays for everything especially where madness is current there he might be the richest man in the kingdom he has such a stock of it i see it full well and full well i tell him of it but what boots it especially now that he is all in the dumps for having been worsted by the night of the white moon Tosilos begged of sancho to tell him that story but Sancho said it would not be handsome to let his master stay for him, but that next time they met he would tell him the whole matter. With that they got up, and, after the squire had brushed his clothes and put himself to rights, he drove Dapple along, and with a good bitey, to left Tossalos in order to overtake his master, who stayed for him under the cover of a tree.